It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. It's completely wrong. It did not. It did not happen. This was. There was no spying. There was. It's Pizzagate. The conspiracy gene. The conspiracy gene is no more accurate than Pizzagate. Mm -hmm. No one was spying on the president through the microwave. No one spied on the Trump campaign. There was no spying. There was no spying. No spying. There was 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 no spying. Wow. By the way, there was no spying, of course. There was no spying. There was no spying on the Trump campaign. On the Trump campaign. It's been a year and a half. There, there was, was no, no spying on the Trump campaign. Of this crap. No, no spying, spying on, on the Trump, Trump campaign. campaign. Which is a conspiracy theory. No, no spying, spying on the Trump, Trump campaign. campaign. Facts matter. And, oh, by the way, no, there was no... There th- was no, no... No... No spying on the Trump campaign. All right, so that's a media montage just to give you an idea of what you already know. You do already know this, right? Uh, That President Trump claimed in the early times when he got into office that he'd been spied on. And the media mocked him mercilessly. And you heard it. Uh, That was a courtesy of Media Research Center. I want to give you some more stats on this because Media Research Center has, you know, been doing what they do so well. Thank God for, uh, for Brent Bozell. Um, They found that ABC, CBS, and NBC evening newscasts alone spent a whopping 2,634 minutes covering the investigations into the alleged Russia collusion through July 20, 2019. That's nearly a fifth of all the broadcast Trump coverage. Okay, so that's that's just to give you an idea. Uh, They go on to say the heavy-handed coverage from ABC, CBS, and NBC was in addition to the dedicated airtime from both CNN and MSNBC, which focused relentlessly on the investigation's developments. The New York Times and Washington Post even shared the Pulitzer Prize for 2018 for deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage of alleged Russian interference. But you know this, right? How could you live in this world and not and listen to the news at all and not think uh, that whole Russia collusion was a fact? Uh, and uh, because you heard it constantly, you were drilled, you were programmed. And as one uh, pundit says, and I think it's Lee Smith, he said, the, uh, the media isn't just partisan. It is a spy service. It is a spy service. It created this as much as any entity uh, this undermining of President Trump. And if you, I want us to go, um, there's a lot to say about this, of course. We talked with Matt Schlapp about it yesterday, but uh, Brett Baer did a nice report last night with David Spade, and they kind of spell out the details very clearly. And I, I'm just going to let, let's listen to them explain exactly, at least in part, what John Durham, the special investigator, found out. Let's listen. 
As mentioned at the top of the show, there are significant developments tonight in the investigation into the origins of the Trump-Russia probe. Special counsel John Durham has tied 2016 Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton to an effort to infiltrate Trump Tower computer servers to set up a, quote, false narrative. Correspondent David Spont has details tonight from the Justice Department. A source close to special counsel John Durham's probe tells Fox News things have, quote, accelerated and more people are cooperating with the probe into the origins of the Russia investigation. I know nothing about Russia. Before he even moved into the White House, Donald Trump denied reports he was in cahoots with Russia. Now special counsel John Durham, looking into the origins of the Russia probe for almost three years, argues in a new filing that former Clinton campaign attorney Michael Sussman was in contact with a technology executive who tasked researchers to mine Internet data to establish an inference and narrative tying then-candidate Trump to Russia. Sussman is fighting charges of lying to the FBI. This latest revelation prompted the former president to call the allegations a far bigger crime than Watergate. I don't think you can fairly say that this is evidence of spying in the way that the word is traditionally used. You know, we're not talking about intercepting communications. And it doesn't mean that John Durham is not on a serious path towards accountability, possibly at the very highest reaches of the Clinton campaign. In 2016, Clinton herself peddled the Trump-Russia theory in this tweet. Computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russian-based bank. Then-Clinton aide, now current White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, said in a statement that same day, this line of communication may help explain Trump's bizarre adoration of Vladimir Putin. Trump's former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe. I would expect and anticipate, based on the intelligence that I've seen, that there would be uh, quite a few more indictments. That's something I can't speak to from this podium, so I, I refer you to the Department of Justice. No comment from the Department of Justice or Sussman's attorney, Brett, but we can tell you that Republicans on Capitol Hill are salivating. They say that if they take the House in November, they will hold public hearings on the Durham probe. Brett. All right. So uh, that's a at least a little bit. The bottom line is Hillary Clinton and her team through Michael Sussman, the attorney through uh, a tech entity who was at Georgia Tech. We know his name now. Can't think of it at the top of my head. Uh, those people are uh, coming to the forefront of having created the whole story about Russia. Uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign paid for researchers to try to find something, and then Hillary leaked it through her Twitter account, and then, of course, the breathless media picked it up. And even from the beginning, you remember, and even in the debates, President Trump was challenged, he says, about Russia. He said, I know nothing about Russia. I, I, I have no—I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have ties to Russia. So it started way, way back, and, uh, and there was a lot of cooperation with the media, uh, with the FBI, with the CIA. Uh, it's just, it is an unbelievable story. President Trump now is saying that the Department of Justice should absolutely declassify the remaining Trump-Russia probe records. You know, this is something that many people uh, that I know and uh, let's say are, are friends with tried to get him to do a long time ago. President Trump, just declassify the whole thing. Just let it go. Just let them see. Just declassify it, President Trump. You can do this. And for some reason, he didn't. I think probably because he had um, the rhino uh, t squad around him in the Oval Office saying, oh, no, no, that wouldn't be that. 
that would, could be a problem. That could be a problem. We don't want you to do that. And so trust me, it was Republicans who were up to their ears in stopping this as much as it was uh, as much as it was uh, people on the left. And I want to give you just a speaking of Congress because they're on my bad list right now. They often are. There are very few of them that I have respect for. It's just the truth. And you need to know that because we're getting ready for an election. And please promise me that you will not just vote for an incumbent because he held your baby or shook your hand. Uh, So many of them are fooling you. They act, they go to church, or they show up for this or that, and they smile and they tell you all these things they've done. I would just tell you that I had an interaction with a congressman in the last few days where I confronted him about not defunding the mandates. And I got back this blah, blah, blah. I've done this. I sponsored this. I sponsored this. And I wrote him back in detail and said, it is easy to sponsor a bill or an amendment when you have no chance of passing it and you know it will go nowhere. The problem is that you're actually doing nothing but deceiving people and acting as though you're doing something when you're doing nothing. And you are an incumbent, but you will never have my support. I will work against you. And I'm challenging all of you to make it your business to know about your congressman and your senator. Get, for instance, Mitch McConnell out. People of Kentucky, why do you keep putting him back in? I don't think he's up for election right now, but remember this. Remember this. These men have done tremendous damage um, because, you know, they're familiar. They represent your state. I think of John Thune. He's up for election. Uh, they, they They are really, they've done worthless things. I'll give you an example. This morning, I'll give you an example. We are in the process of trying to get, uh, Chip Roy has led this fight, Mike Lee in the Senate and others, and I'm going to get to that, uh, to ask Congress to defund the mandates, the COVID mandates. Stop giving Joe Biden and his minions all this money to oppress the people, to force vaccines and force masks and force whatever it is they're forcing all over the country. Dry up the well. That's what you can do. Why don't you do it? Well, the truth of it is that, you know, they're not doing it. Uh, We've managed to get, I think, what, 59 of them to sign on to a petition. But I want to tell you, we, through your efforts on this um, uh, Align Act, A-L-I-G-N-A-C-T, we've managed to make something like 22 million contacts with Congress. And we're not done with this. I I hope that you will go to Align Act and uh, look at the top. I think the top um, campaign is Stop the Mandates. And let me tell you what's happening. We have had some movement on this, and this is like inside the Beltway speak, so I'm going to try to be, and I don't understand all of it either, but I'm sure I understand more of it than most of you. Uh, Let me just say at this point, Senators Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Cynthia Loomis, Mike Braun, I have announced that they will not consent to a time agreement that, um, okay, we're trying to fund the government, and that's what we're talking about. The funding is going to run out uh, shortly. Uh, And so we know because of the way they operate that they were just going to refund those mandates and they didn't care. But some of them do care. And so what they've done, they found a wedge uh, to stop the continuation of the funding by stopping a vote on a continuing resolution. That's That's a temporary funding of the government. And so they will not 
let them pass this CR, this short-term funding, without an agreement for a roll call vote on an amendment to defund the mandates. Now, this is big news. Uh, America's limited government has been spearheading this. That's um, my good friend Rick Manning. And he says, I have no doubt that the 23 million email received by the Senate and House uh, have been part of this. America's limited government strongly urges every senator to vote to defund the vaccine across the country are joined joining their Republican counterparts in ending the shutdowns and mandating federal government to continue pressing for American workers, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, etc., emergency and first responders, along with federal government workers and contractors, to lose their jobs. The CDC has found that natural immunity offers better protection, and you know you know all of this. It's time for Republicans, Democrats, and independents to come together and end this uh, funding of unconstitutional vaccine mandates at a time when the federal government should be getting people back to work. So there are six senators. They have sent a dear—it's in the Senate right now because it's out of the House, okay? The six senators have—because it passed in the House with Nancy Pelosi's leadership and the, the 59 or 50-whatever, that was 55, maybe a congressman, just couldn't stop it because they didn't have the uh, the numbers. But now it's in the Senate. The six senators have sent a dear colleague letter to every senator inviting them uh, to join them. And they say the livelihoods and personal freedoms of millions of Americans are at stake. And that was written again by Senators Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Cynthia Loomis, Mike Braun. And uh, they need your help. And so if you will go to, we need to stop this. Stop this nonsense. Stop their just worthless, worthless representation of us. And we need, they need to feel the heat big time. So go to AlignAct.com and weigh in. Uh, let's make it $44 million and uh, put some pressure on them. Um, you know, the thing of it is, like, even when you think about this, um, Thomas Massey, the congressman from Kentucky, pointed out that Congress has never, never passed a law requiring masks on commercial flights. Uh, they haven't done anything about it. So why do we have this? Why, why don't they stop this? But they don't because they, they think, well, I don't know what they think. But they're doing nothing to represent and help us. And so uh, we need to put some uh, heat on them. And we also need to get them out when election comes. That's all I can say. They just, they just need to be gone. We cannot have people representing us who do nothing. And by doing nothing, they harm the country. All right, well, uh, coming up next, uh, you know, Canada is suffering so much, New Zealand suffering so much, and a lot of this goes back to the loss of the right to bear arms. We're going to talk with John Lott next when we return. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Here's some great news. If you miss the deadline to sign up for health insurance or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. 
The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts to one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. At Liberty University, we're proud to support those who serve and protect us every day, like first responders and past and present military members and their spouses. As thanks for your service, we offer special tuition rates and discounts. You'll also find deployment-friendly classes and degrees tailored to your specific interests and career goals. Learn how Liberty designs degrees just for you by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. Jennifer Say had to choose between her job and her constitutional rights. She chose the Constitution. Jennifer was a longtime executive at Levi Strauss, brand president of the Blue Jean Company. She was forced out because she refused to stop advocating for kids to return to the classroom. Jennifer is a mother of four. She's been an outspoken critic of California's China virus policies in the classroom. Jennifer is also a lifelong Democrat and a supporter of diversity. She has two black children. But when she started speaking her mind, the Levi's diversity director accused her of racism and told her to go on an apology tour. She was told to either clam up or face the unemployment line. Jennifer says she gave up a $1 million severance package in order to keep speaking her mind. It's just something to remember the next time you need to buy a pair of blue jeans. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, Sandy Rios back with you. You know, we've been covering the Canadian trucker convoy every day. It's fascinating to me, more than fascinating. You know, I feel very vested in it, and um, there is such a lot to say about it, but one thing really struck me yesterday. I told you about um, a Canadian RCMP, I believe in Alberta, uh, giving a news conference, and I watched her, and she basically said that we have uh, found, uh, she said that the truckers had attempted to, to uh, hit some of them, some of the uh, some of the police, she said. Also, they'd found that there was a believed a plot to murder. She said they had found a cache of weapons and body armor. But the interesting thing about it was, as soon as she finished her statement, and the people of the press, whoever they were in that particular conference, because it was out outside somewhere, said to her. You know, um, we're actually hearing a different story about that. We are hearing something different. Um, uh, how are we supposed to believe? Uh, who are we supposed to believe? How are we supposed to know what the truth is here? 
And of course, she was very, well, we always speak the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Well, I found it very interesting that yesterday I then came across a, a Daniel Bulford, and he, we played a clip from him a couple of days ago because he very um, emotionally resigned from the Canadian Mounted Police. And he was a personal, on the personal detail of Justin Trudeau, if you will recall. All right, well, he has evidently jumped in to help these, uh, help the, the, the trucker protesters. And in regard to what the story that I told you about the female RCMP officer announcing that they'd found some sort of cache of weapons and body armor, Daniel Bulford spoke out, I believe this was yesterday. I want you to hear it. Let's listen. Good evening. I'm Danny Bulford. I was a former RCMP sniper supervisor that was regularly tasked with protection of the Prime Minister. Today, on February 14th, we received information from multiple believed reliable sources that firearms may be planted in Ottawa, specifically around the Freedom Convoy, to discredit the protest and to use as a pretext to forcibly remove peaceful protesters. Due to the nature of this information, we felt it prudent to notify the public in the interest of their safety. This private intelligence correlates with the approximately 2,000 firearms stolen in Peterborough, Ontario on Sunday morning, February the 13th. Our sources have notified us that these weapons may be planted by nefarious elements, and at this point, we have no further knowledge about who is behind this act of sabotage. As soon as we received this information, we notified the appropriate authorities with whom we are collaborating, including the Ottawa Police Service, the Ontario Provincial Police, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and the Parliamentary Protective Service. We implore any of our demonstrators, if any activity is suspicious, please call 911 immediately. Many of us have left our homes to come here to demonstrate peacefully. We are all pleading with the police. Do not act indiscriminately. We are calling on all scrupulous journalists. Please turn your investigative talents to this matter. We expressly affirm the principle that change can only occur within the democratic process. We have never, nor do we ever intend, to step outside of this democratic process. Public and police safety remains our paramount concern. Thank you. All right, so Daniel Bulford, who I just explained to you, was a former MP, former private duty for uh, Justin Trudeau, who's resigned, and he's saying that they, a cache of weapons was stolen on Sunday morning, and the word had gone out that it was going to be planted somewhere around the convoy to accuse the convoy, uh, the, the trucker convoy of this. It's amazing, and I, it's amazing to me how that story has gone silent. You would think that would be all over the headlines that they found that the, the truckers, there was an attempt to murder by one of them and uh, that they found this cache of weapons and body armor. No one's talking about that, are they? I found those through other sources that are harder to find. But that brings me to my next guest because part of the reason I think that Canada and New Zealand and Australia are be undergoing uh, suffering from such tyranny is because they gave up their right to arm themselves a long time ago. John Lott knows all about this. He's just written an article in Newsweek along with Congressman Tom Massey. Biden's rhetoric on guns is far from reasonable. And we'll get to that, the content of that in just a second. But John, thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, great to talk to you as always. Thanks. 
John, uh, just briefly, before we get into the content of what Biden's doing, tell us, just give us a status of your ability to bear firearms in Canada. I, I really don't know where they are with that. Well, uh, they've uh, banned people being able to go and buy basically semi-automatic guns, uh, rifles. Um, the They're talking about completely banning handguns uh, that's there right now. They've been strictly regulated. Relatively few people own handguns in the country. Uh, but they've talked about going a step further. And originally, the the regulations that they had on semi-automatic rifles uh, just banned any new guns that you could go and buy. But they've been talking about moving to take away the guns that people had there already. So, so you'd say, okay, so to be clear, they can still carry guns, but there are a lot of restrictions. No, 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 no. Well, you can't carry. Uh, you're not okay. allowed to. Uh, it's been since the 1970s that they've had uh, any ability to go and carry guns uh, in public. Um, uh, so, but I'm just talking about ownership rules. Uh, they, But, you know. They don't have things like concealed carry in Canada anymore. They used to, and it used to be relatively common. I mean, one of the ironies was uh, Trudeau's father was the one who ended that during the 1970s. And then when he, uh, after he stopped being prime minister, he was concerned about his safety. And so he he actually applied for getting one of the one or two concealed handgun permits that they might allow in the country there with some special dispensation. Uh, but uh, after kind of a little bit of a blowback, he uh, he decided it was best not to, not to be the one exception to be able to go and get protection. But, of course, in Australia and New Zealand, they had to turn their guns in. And I guess, of course, the, you know the point I'm trying to make. I'm pretty, well, pretty uh, obvious about it. They don't have a way to fight back. Yeah, right. So. Well, I mean, Australia, it's a bit of a misnomer. What they did was uh, they had this compulsory buyback that they had in 96 uh, and 97, and um, uh, and they ended up forcibly buying back about uh, 25% of the guns that were there. But what they've done since then is you can go and buy guns now. Uh, you have to go through a strict licensing process. But as of, uh, I guess, about 2010, the gun ownership rate in Australia had gone back above what it had been prior to the buyback that they had had. So, oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, well, they do. So they do have a way to protect themselves or to fight back, but they're obviously not using it in well, that way. I'm... Well, what they do is they have, uh, they have all these restrictions. Like you have to have a big safe and you have to keep the guns locked in there all the time unless you're, you're using them. They make it very difficult for people to go and use a gun defensively. Uh, yeah. And you don't have the right uh, to use a gun defensively as you do in the United States. I mean, you may, if you use a gun defensively in Canada or in Australia, uh, there's a good chance that you're the one who's going to be charged with the crime rather than the person who had broken into your home. Well, that doesn't sound so fantastic to us now because we see the beginnings of that here, which brings me back to your article. You have analyzed, along with uh, John, uh, um, Congressman Massey, uh, Biden's rhetoric on guns in this country. We Before we run out of time, and we're just going to go quickly, John, 
uh, tell us where, what Biden's position is, because the pundits tell us, oh, no, he doesn't want to take your, away your guns. But you say, oh, yes, he does. Can you explain that? Well, multiple times, uh, again, recently, when he was, gave his talk in New York, he keeps on using the term that he wants to ban all handguns or all rifles that are capable or can hold uh, magazines of, let's say, more than 10 rounds. And uh, the problem is, is that uh, if you know, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about, but uh, he's gotten blowback from this before. But all semi-automatic guns can hold magazines of of virtually any size, and so you know if he says that can hold uh, more than ten rounds, and he wants to ban those, then he's really saying he wants to go and ban all semi-automatic guns and. You take handguns, about 85% of the handguns sold in the United States are semi-automatic handguns. Uh, you have a, a very large percentage, most of the rifles in the United States are semi-automatic. And so, uh, you know, and, and this isn't something that he has said once or twice. Uh, he said it multiple times. And, uh, you know, if you just take him at his word, that's what he apparently wants to do. Um, you know, the thing is, with uh, with Biden, he has all these regulations that would effectively ban people owning a lot of guns. Uh, uh, you know, in his talk in New York, his number one agenda goal was to go after these so-called rogue gun dealers with a zero tolerance policy that they're supposedly selling guns out of the back of their stores uh, to criminals. But that's not what's going on with he wants to do is be able to look over the last 15 years of paperwork for these gun dealers. And if he can find one paperwork mistake, no matter how small, no matter how trivial, he wants a zero tolerance policy to put them out of business. Uh, you know, that would, that would drive virtually everybody out of business if he puts that in place. Uh, I mean, if I were to go to your radio network and say, okay, can you find one paperwork mistake that you guys have had in any of your paperwork over the last 15 years, my guess is, you know, they'd find one thing, no matter how trivial. Just one. I think uh, they might find one, John. Yes, you're right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so obviously, but he's getting cover from all kinds of places. Like you, you say in your article, the political fact, politifact, is say, still saying that uh, Biden has not mentioned banning of any type of traditional handgun. handgun, And so they cover for him at every point, but you say what they're saying, right. he really does want to get rid of the guns. And let me just, because a lot of people are not gun, they don't own guns. A lot of my listeners do, and they know what you're talking about exactly. But for those that don't, if you didn't have semi-automatic capabilities on a handgun or uh, a rifle, what would the is it just single shot? Like you point and shoot, and that's one shot, and that's that's the that's the alternative. Right. Well, I mean, for for rifles, uh, the alternative is to have a manually loaded gun, where you have to physically put in another bullet in the chamber. Um, with a semi-automatic gun, what happens is you pull the trigger, one bullet comes out and then it automatically reloads. One pull the trigger, one bullet comes out, and so on. Uh, machine guns are auto fully automatic as, as long as you keep the trigger-depressed bullets are going to come out. But, you know, if you get rid of semi-automatic guns, you know, say for rifles, uh, 
you know, and you need to go and use a gun defensively and fire more than one shot, people may not have the luxury of time in order to go and manually reload the gun. I mean, if you fire and miss or if you face multiple attackers, uh, people benefit from having a, an option for uh, semi-automatic capability on their rifle there. And, um, you know, it's uh, you're just going to make it more difficult for people to be able to go and, and defend themselves and their families. Are, are gun sales still off, off the charts here in the States? They're still very high. They're not as high as they were last year. They've gone down a little bit, but they're still they're still very high. And uh, this last year, we saw the biggest increase in concealed handgun permits uh, in the United States. Uh, there's over 21 and a half million people that have concealed handgun permits, and that's not even dealing with the fact that we now have 21 so-called constitutional carry states where somebody who can legally buy a gun. Um, is allowed to carry without getting a permit. So uh, a lot more people carry, but we, we've we seen big increases. And the interesting thing is the biggest increases over the last uh, eight years or so have been among women uh, and blacks. Uh, both women and blacks, blacks have increased their share of the permits by about 100% faster than for white. And, and women by about 100% faster than for men. Wow. Well, that's all very interesting. And we know the reason, because we saw so much uh, uh, chaos in the streets the summer of 2020. Uh, and uh, right. we know that crime is not, you know, crime is going up, not down, because of these rogue prosecutors and, and, you know, put in place by George Soros money. It's a mess. And that's why, you know, being able right. to protect ourselves is so important. Uh, John, let me just say, the article is in Newsweek. It's Biden's rhetoric on guns is far from reasonable. We'll post that on our Getter account so that you can access it. Written by John Lott and Thomas Massey. And by the way, John's, uh, all of his stuff is great. I mean, he is a researcher, a former professor. We've gone back a long way. But he, if you find anything, all of his stuff is on crimeprevention.org, crimeprevention.org. Dot org. Uh, John, great to talk to you. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. And, yeah, I, and we'll talk soon. Okay? Okay. Thank you, Thank you John. Okay, Sandy, Real, by the way, when we come back, more stuff on the truckers uh, that I want to tell you and more just uh, interesting uh, news. There's always, it's never a dull in this country right now. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit engagemagazine.net. Oh, Lord, please let me make it. Please, Lord. Come on, come on. American Family Association or American Family Radio. I missed the show again. Can't find the time to catch the live shows? No worries. Wait, what? You can listen and download all your favorite shows for free. For free? That's right, for free. 
just visit the podcast page on AFR.net. Lord. AFR.net. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. An appalling video circulated on social media showing a smiling Iranian husband parading the severed head of his 17-year-old wife through the streets is causing shock and outrage in the country and around the world. The footage, obtained by the New York Post, shows the murdering husband grinning as he strolled through a neighborhood in Avaz, a city in southwestern Iran, on Saturday, February 5th, with his wife Mona Hadari's head in one hand and a bloodied blade in the other. Contrary to regressive sentiment, no, not all civilizations or cultures are equal. There is something called evil, and this is pure evil. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. As many of you know, Hurricane Ida devastated Louisiana in August, making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane, leaving thousands of families in need of hope. Do you know it's been three years since 8 Days of Hope deployed on a rebuilding trip where we help hundreds of families rebuild their homes for free? But today I've got some exciting news. We're announcing that 8 Days of Hope 17 is going to take place in Laplace, Louisiana from April 9th through the 16th, bringing hope to those who are feeling hopeless. We're going to be doing roofing and drywall painting and so much more. If you'd love to use your gifts to serve those in need, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. As always, it's free to volunteer with us. Food and lodging are provided. And again, if you're looking to be the hands and feet of Jesus, join us in April when we go to La Paz, Louisiana during 8 Days of Hope 17. Again, for more information about this outreach or any arm of the ministry, go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The much-ballyhooed Russian invasion of Ukraine hasn't happened yet, thank God. For the moment, this must be considered a stay of execution for the Ukrainians, not a commutation of sentence. But it always seemed more likely that Vladimir Putin would wait to impose his brand of totalitarianism on them until after his ally Xi Jinping finishes the genocide games next week. So hold the champagne. Meanwhile, tyranny is on the march closer to home. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has declared what amounts to martial law to crush peaceful truck-borne civil disobedience. And the Biden administration has been wielding unconstitutional emergency powers here, too, by imposing COVID-19 vaccine. Last week, its Homeland Security Department declared that those who object by writing so-called mis dis or mal-information will be treated as domestic terrorists. Freedom-loving peoples are under threat worldwide. We must stand together. This is Frank Afney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The government is issuing an order with immediate effect under the Emergencies Act, authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that an account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. This order covers both personal and corporate accounts. Third, we are directing Canadian financial institutions to review their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades and report to the RCMP or CSIS. As of today, 
a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. In doing so, they will be protected against civil liability for actions taken in good faith. Federal government institutions will have a new broad authority to share relevant information with banks and other financial service providers to ensure that we can all work together to put a stop to the funding of these illegal blockades. This is about following the money. This is about stopping the financing of these illegal blockades. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. Well, she would know about the money. That's uh, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Friedland. She's the Minister of Finance, and we're learning more about her. She is a governor for the World Economic Forum. I think I told you yesterday that I read she has, uh, I thought, I, I know I read, I don't know if it's true, I didn't get to verify it, uh, that she worked with George Soros for a very long time. Well, I don't know if that's actually true, if she was on the payroll, uh, but I know that she has close connections to them. We have videos of her doing presentations with him. So, yeah, she knows a lot about how to ruin people uh, with these kinds of threats and uh, withdrawing their money. And certainly the truckers, I saw uh, um, uh, one of them hold up uh, uh, the picture of a tweet that he got from his company that his license had been suspended. And he actually he actually um, resigned his job. These guys are... Um, they have courage beyond measure. There's no question about it. And you might wonder how they responded. That was an announcement made on Monday, and that was along with Pierre Trudeau, or Pierre, <laughs> Justin Trudeau, the son. Justin Trudeau. It sounds like um, North Korea with the, the Jong-ils, you know, Kim and Kim Un and Kim Jong. And yeah, but so now we got the Trudeau, uh, the, the doublets, the two, the father, son. And so uh, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Oh, gosh, I have to stop for a second. Where is that clip? We found a, tr a, a clip of Trudeau. I told you how much he loves uh, Castro. and We've told you about the connections, the potential connections between him and uh, Castro. I find that fascinating that he uh, looks almost identical to Castro uh, in so many photographs and that his mother, actually the free spirit hippie, uh, was around Castro around the time that he was conceived. So, uh, it's just very interesting. People are talking about it. I think it's worth talking about. I think it's more than a wild, uh, I think it's more than a wild uh, guess. I think there may, you know, that's very interesting. That's all I can say. But uh, Trudeau, when Castro died, he was the only Western leader who boasted about how wonderful Fidel Castro was for some reason. Uh, but we found a clip of him early on uh, expressing his great admiration for another, you know, a regime that, uh, punishes their people, that controls them, that is uh, set, sets up labor camps, people disappearing, and that would be China. And this is clip five. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start, you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. Uh, that I find quite interesting. Yeah, they have a dictatorship where they could do anything they want. I admire that. Well, I guess he must. Uh, this is another story that you probably have not heard. 
uh, this uh, the Canadian, the female Canadian MP that spoke, and I believe in Alberta a couple of days ago that I mentioned to you, uh, where she described this. Uh, they thought there was an, a you know a plot to murder, and they found a cache of weapons and body armor. And if you just tuned in, it turns out that's completely false. It looks as though a cache of weapons was stolen on Sunday morning and planted around the convoy. But it gets worse uh, because she had also talked about these trucks, these uh, excavating trucks, and she accused them of trying to hit the police. It was just a bizarre story. And so now uh, it turns out, actually, I think better than me tell the story. This is a Canadian who's describing what happened to these three big excavators. If he doesn't tell, if he doesn't tell everything that I read, I'll fill in the blanks, but listen to clip two, please. So they've cut this main battery cable. Yep. They cut this negative battery cable almost all the way through. They cut the cables on the solenoids. These would be a start solenoids and uh, probably a glue plug solenoids. And then this control box, they've cut all the wires in it. They took the fuel lines off. They sprayed foam them shut. Yep. There's a filter missing over there. Um, and they've cut all the wires off the solenoids there. Yep. Let's get rid of there. Yeah, and then on the other side here. All right, we're gonna we're gonna interrupt. Actually, that's not the clip that I intended. This is that's a low, a slow description of what happened to these three excavators, and they uh, basically the police Canadian police asked them to move their excavators away from the highway so they could not be seen. That's how they started. And so the company contacted a private entity and put, moved them to private land. And then overnight, they were completely destroyed. And the owner of the company is the, actually the clip I had in, intended for you to listen to where he talks about the destruction. They have totally been destructed, destroyed. You heard a little bit of that. The wires cut, uh, the hydraulics ruined, uh, foam put inside. These are three huge excavators that were not in the convoy. They were just asked to be moved, oh, and they were on private property. And so people are wondering, well, who did this? Who? Who would do this? Who would do this? And so one of the, one of the persons who had knowledge of this called a, the a Royal Canadian Mounted Police and talked to one of the members of the Mounted Police, Troy Savinkoff, and listen to this phone call. Listen. Clip three. Hey there. It's uh, Troy Sutton calling you back. Yep, thank you. Uh, so I can confirm that we disabled three, looks like three excavators. Yep. Um, to prevent the equipment from being used in the illegal activity of the blockade. Uh, was there an expectation there as to how they were going to be used? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I've, I've got the answer for you. I'm not sure what other questions you might have with, relative to that. I wasn't part of that. Uh, that planning or the execution of that. So yep. I don't think I can comment any further than that. Nope, it's all good. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. No problem, Sid. Take care, buddy. Yep, bye-bye. Hi there, it's Corporal Savinkoff here. Uh, hey there, Corporal. Uh, this is uh, Sid calling you again really quickly, um, if you have the time for a hey, second. Sid. Absolutely. Yep, uh, so I just wanted to confirm um, exactly what the damage was done by the RCMP. The damage, the disabling? Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we can... Yep. Right. I don't know. I don't know what we did to disable those vehicles. Sid. Okay. But okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, I forgot to get that bit there uh, last time, but you did confirm that it was you guys. But um, in terms of the specific damage, you're unaware. 
Yeah, the specific uh, steps that we took to disable those vehicles, I don't, I don't know. Okay, all right. No, appreciate that. Just wanted to reconfirm. Thank you. All right, take care. Yep, bye-bye. So did you catch that? The Royal Canadian Mounted Police went on private property, and according to the owner of these, the clip that we did not have, they have destroyed these three huge machines which are worth, as you can imagine, I'm guessing millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands at the very least. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I'm sure that officer had no idea what they actually did. What they did, according to the owner, was destroy it. And it it would be almost impossible to restore it to function. It's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and they were not involved in the convoy. They just wanted to, you heard his voice, prevent them from possible activities with the truckers. They had simply moved it to private property as the police had asked to get away from the highway so it could not be visible for whatever reason. It's really, this is just, so no wonder, I guess, Trudeau really does admire China. You can see why. You remember when they destroyed that church, just went in and bulldozed a huge, beautiful building of a church? That happened a few years ago. Yeah, they, they, they're free to do whatever they want, and I guess so is Trudeau right now. Now, you may be wondering how the, the truckers are feeling about all of this, Benjamin Dichter is the one of the organizers of the protests. And uh, in response to Dodeau's uh, declaration of this emergency, this is what Benjamin Dichter had to say. This is clip 12. Let's listen. When I say peacefully protesting, I would call it more of a demonstration because what are we, gu- what are we guilty of? Some trucks parked illegally? Okay, I'm not sure that that warrants the response from the government. But one of the things that they did include in this emergency act is it forces tow truck companies under duress to come in and tow the trucks. And if they refuse to tow the trucks, then the government can say, fine, we're canceling your business license and fining you $100,000 or some obscene number like that. He said in his press conference that he's not going to call in the military, and we were all laughing because our response was, yeah, you tried that last week, and the military said, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, we don't, this is not in within our privy, and many of us have families in military and policing, and that's how we found out. So you know what they say, a general without an army is a fool. Uh, Justin Trudeau just hasn't realized that yet. All right, so uh, that's the head of the convoy, one of the leaders, and so uh, they're laughing. Okay, they're not all laughing because, of course, many of them have already been losing their jobs. They are – oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you on the Give-Send-Go situation where they they were hacked uh, and uh, the names and personal information of those that had donated to the truckers has been published – by various media outlets, not that the media outlets, you know, they're not so good. You'd think that would be a big story, wouldn't you? But no, no, they just want to kind of help. They just want to help, so they're publishing the names. But I want you to know that uh, according to uh, Give, Send, Go, the uh, CEO, he says that uh, at least about half, as far as he can tell right now, half of the donations came from the United States. They were small donor uh, people at about $100 on average. And so um, I just wanted you to know that. Uh, I'm sure who knows what's going to happen from that. You know that they'll do everything they can uh, to hurt and destroy the people involved in this. Uh, Ezra Levant, who heads Rebel News, had some comments on the emergency declaration. Let's listen. Clip one. 
I think that Trudeau sees an opportunity. By the way, these emergencies acts weren't even invoked after 9-11. They weren't invoked when there was a terrorist attack on Canada's parliament itself. But he's deeming these truckers to be terrorists. You heard the deputy prime minister, who, by the way, happens to be a governor of the World Economic Forum. He's using this crisis as a pretext for going after the banking information of all of his political opponents. There is no revolution in the streets of Canada. You see for yourself, it's a festival environment. There's no violence. It's happy moms and dads and kids. Trudeau is claiming they're dangerous, claiming they're terrorists, so he can seize bank accounts. The most scary thing announced today by the finance minister who's on the World Economic Forum board is that banks will be directed to seize your accounts without due process and you can't even sue them, they're indemnified. He's going after his political opponents to seize their resources Venezuela style. I don't think that any Canadian police would actually assault a trucker, shoot a trucker, God forbid. I mean, Canadian police see what's going on. Uh, th there was some honking in Ottawa, so there's a court order against using your air horns in residential areas. They cleared the bridge between Detroit and Windsor. Fine. The rest of it is, frankly, parking offenses. They're, they're minor matters. You're not right. going to see real cops I'm get violent. I'm going to interrupt because we're at the end of the show, but you get the point. Uh, and so one thing that I heard yesterday that I haven't heard anywhere else is that Parliament, has, Parliament actually has to sign off on this. I have conflicting information about this and that they have something like 15 days before it actually goes into effect if they don't uh, resist the Premier, the uh, Justin Trudeau's, uh, Trudeau's <laughs> exercising of the Emergency Act. So I, I'm not sure where that is, but it sounds like at least a little bit of glimmer of hope that maybe maybe Parliament will step up to the plate. You think? All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.